You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. A mild afternoon, the sky partly to mostly sunny, the high today 77. For tonight, mostly fair with the low at 52, and we stay dry tomorrow and Friday. Partly sunny both days, the high tomorrow is 79, Friday's high at 80. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 69 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide. 100.9 FM. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. A couple of birthdays we're celebrating with the playlist today. Jeff, amen. 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 Tomato. Tomato. Bass player. Pearl Jam. It's his birthday today. And coming up in uh, just a little bit, we'll have some Eddie Burkell for you. So there you go. That's your Southern Fried Sports Playlist theme of the day. Man, another gorgeous day in Tuscaloosa. Supposed to get up to 77 degrees this afternoon. We did get out to Old Colony yesterday and hit it around a little bit. Played a little golf yesterday. Nine-holer. Told you. That's pretty much my status these days as a golfer. Recreational golfer. Nine-holer. Perfect weather. Doing a lot of work out there at Old Colony. A lot of tree work. A lot of tree work going on out there at the Municipal Golf Course. And uh, they had some high school golf going on out there. That brought back some fond memories of the oldest one, Evan Ryer, playing the high school golf. And whoever set the pins out there for those poor lads and ladies, young ladies, yesterday must have had a really rough Monday night. Maybe they went through a breakup. Maybe they went through a breakup Monday night, or they just tied one on Monday night because the pin locations for a Tuesday on a municipal golf course, I mean, you would have thought it was Sunday at Augusta where they had these pins yesterday. And (laughs) these poor high school kids just trying to get it around. It's already a tough enough golf course, great golf course. We love it. We love Old Colony. But, man, Carl Spackler or whoever set those pins yesterday was angry. Tough, tough spots. Had a good time. Had a really good time out there yesterday afternoon. Um, Chase Goodbread coming up in just a little bit of NFL.com. You had some great baseball. We talked about the weather yesterday and how it was so perfect for so many different things. Golf. Really feeling some jealousy right now for some of the bros back home in the old stomping grounds down there in Northeast Florida because you got the Players Championship 
this week down there at Sawgrass, the stadium calls at Sawgrass. Justin Thomas, former Alabama All-American national champion, he will tee off tomorrow morning on the back nine to get his opening round of the players underway. Early start for JT, 629 Central he goes tomorrow. Michael Thompson former All-American at the University of Alabama. He'll go off the front side at 640. And then you'll have Robbie Shelton capping your Alabama contingent down there at Sawgrass. Robbie Shelton will go off number 10 at 1116 a.m. So that's your players' lineup where the Alabama ties are concerned. Yeah, in baseball, it was perfect last night. It was perfect if you were an Alabama fan, too, with the way Alabama came back. From that deficit there in the bottom of the ninth at the Joe, five runs capped by that walk-off grand slam from Owen Diodati. He goes deep into those right field bleachers, that student section out there in right. And the Alabama Crimson side comes back to get an 11-8 to win. Now, South Alabama was helpful. They were gracious guests couple of errors in the middle of the infield for USA there in the ninth. But, hey, that's why you put the ball in play, and preferably you put the ball in play on the ground. Put pressure on the defense, you know? Brad Bohannon with a low-key good move, too, in that inning in which he pinch-ran for catcher Sam Prater. Got a little more speed on the bases. And so, whereas it looked like initially – It could have been, I think, a game-ending double play. You had enough speed at first base to make that shortstop for South Alabama speed up. Made him hurry it just enough, and he boots the ground ball, and that kind of keyed the rest of the inning. Those managerial moves sometimes. And I get it. In that situation, a lot of guys, a lot of coaches are going to pinch run for a catcher uh, when you need that speed on the bases, but... You know, still stood out a little bit there. Uh, and I thought Chase Lee in relief. Coming at him, Kent Tocolvi style, submariner Chase Lee. He was outstanding in relief. He did give up the uh, the go-ahead double, but that was just a hell of an at-bat for the South Alabama hitter there. Um, you know, that, that you just – Ethan Wilson for South Alabama, that was a great at-bat. But uh, Lee was great in relief, very deserving of his third win of the 2021 season. 205-409-7877. So what do we do with Herb Jones when we talk about the Pantheon, the all-timers for Alabama men's basketball? I know the story still hasn't been entirely written. The magic of March uh, can go a long way in cementing sort of that legacy for a lot of guys, including Herb Jones. But right now, you know, if you had to pick an all-time team for Alabama men's basketball, where do you have Herb Jones in that mix? The thing about picking an Alabama all-time team is when you start to get into it and research it, you could pick five big men. You could just have big men as your all-time Alabama team. I mean, Leon Douglas – Going back to the early to mid-70s, Leon Douglas averaged 17.2, and a half rebounds in 111 games between 1972 and 1976. 
he was a consensus All-American, Leon Douglas. Reggie Mule King kind of followed on the heels of Leon Douglas. 18.4 points per game, 10.8 rebounds between 75 and 79. Two-time, two-time SEC Player of the Year, three-time All-SEC. Wendell Hudson, 69 career games. He averaged 19 and 12. 1973 SEC Player of the Year. And oh, by the way, the first African-American scholarship athlete in any sport at the University of Alabama, Wendell Hudson, another post. He's got his number in the rafters there at Coleman Coliseum. You get into the guards, probably nostalgia, but always a big Enos Watley fan going back to the early 80s. Just a couple of years at UA, but he averaged 13.7, assists per game, two-time All-SEC tournament team selection, Enos Watley. Robert Ory, for me, has to be in that mix. Average 12-7 and in 134 career games. All-time leader at the University of Alabama in blocks, so I like him defensively. He's my lockdown guy if I'm picking five or six guys. But these big men, man, that Alabama have had forever, it seems like. I mean, Bobby Lee Hurt, Erwin Dudley, Buck Johnson, Eddie Phillips, Antonio McDice. I think in terms of just pure talent, you're not going to surpass Antonio McDice, two-time All-SEC selection on top of all that. Michael Ansley was a really good post player. Richard Hendricks later on was a really good player. Roy Rogers defensively. Just an absolute force in the paint. Derek McKee, Chuck Davis. You go on and on. And again, you look at guards. For me, Ronald Steele is the biggest what could have been story, if not for the knees and the injury issues. Such a dynamic start to his career at Alabama. Latrell Sprewell, you got to consider in that mix. I think Latrell, though, it was more about after he left Alabama. I don't get me wrong, really good player at Alabama, but more of a defensive stalwart. Then he goes on to the NBA, becomes a superstar. Latrell Sprewell. I think Antoine Petway, a guy you got to consider in that mix as well. T.R. Dunn, defensive stalwart on some of those uh, mid 70s teams with Mule King. Top 10 team under CM Newton when you go back to the mid-70s. And then you got to consider, look, you can't be disrespectful to the teams even before the 70s. You know, if you don't mention the Rocket 8 team of the mid-50s, yeah, you'll get some pushback from the old heads. If you don't talk about Jerry Harper and George Lynn and those guys, they went 14-0. and 0. In SEC play, I think it was 56, 55, 56. He went 14-0 in SEC play, finished fifth in the final AP poll that season. The Rocket 8. What a great nickname for a team. Hey, we're going to step aside for a break. We'll maybe ask Chase Goodbread. He keeps up with college basketball. Where are you going to put Herb Jones in that mix with all those guys we just talked about? I didn't even mention Gerald Wallace. In terms of just pure talent, you would certainly talk about Gerald Wallace. For me, probably Herb is in that neighborhood with Sprewell. Maybe uh, you think about Robert Ory. Robert Ory, Herb. Yeah, that would probably be the, the comp there to this point when you're talking about 
Herb Jones. Chase Goodbread of NFL.com coming up next on a Wednesday edition of Southern Fried Sports on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. If you're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. And we're going to check in right now with my neighbor, good friend, Chase Goodbread of NFL.com. Of course, Chase done great work around here throughout the years when it comes to Alabama football coverage. Joins me on the Talking Tide podcast. How many years we've been doing that thing now? Good bread, four, five, six. About five. I noticed the other day on the on the website that we use, Podbean.com, that we're creeping up on two hundred episodes, and it's actually north of that because if you remember, the first year we were on a different server for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a long time. I think, I think it was like two cans with a string between. Them. First serve Sometimes we it doing. still is. Yeah. I think it was like Western Union telegraphing we were doing, you know, initially with that podcast. It's been around so long. Um, good, Brett. I wanted to talk to you about a couple different things. Yesterday, Jacob Harrison, executive producer of the program, and myself, we outlined mocks that matter. You know, in other words, mock drafts, draft analysts in general that we pay particular attention to. I know. Uh, sort of your cohort there at NFL.com, or at least the NFL Network, Daniel Jeremiah, you've had a chance to really see this guy evolve, right, in his role. He was sort of secondary there for a while while Mike Mayock was kind of the lead uh, personality and analyst in a lot of ways. But um, it's got to be pretty neat to see where this guy's come from. Daniel does a great job. There's no doubt about it. He's He's got – a scouting background. Uh, he was a scout with uh, the Eagles. He was a scout with the Ravens. Uh, he's been around, so so he's he's been on that side of it, which is obviously pretty important. Uh, but you know, he's maintained a lot of contacts in front offices, and I kind of like the the way you know he also does a, a top fifty list, which is just a pure talent list, has nothing to do with attaching names to teams. And what he likes to say is the top 50 list is what I see and the mock is what I hear, uh, which is gotcha. probably a pretty good way to kind of delineate things if you're, if you're in his role. But he, he just did a, he just did a big, uh, Zoom teleconference with a bunch of national reporters just yesterday and was 
uh, riffing, seems like, with hardly any notes, just on any any player that, that anybody wanted to know about. He dives into a lot of tape, and, and so does Lance Zierlein, who does a lot of great work for us as well. He does NFL.com's draft profiles. And it seems like on the heels of Mike Mayock, these guys are going to get opportunities in front offices. Guys like Daniel Jeremiah, Lewis Reddick of uh, ESPN, starting to see their names associated with GM openings, Chase. I mean, is this a trend that you think is going to continue with what uh, the, the jump Mayock made to, to the Raiders? It wouldn't shock. It wouldn't shock me anyway. And and certainly I think the more success that, that the Raiders have with, with Mike Mayock working together with John Gruden, maybe the more opportunities there might be for for somebody to kind of cross that divide, which isn't easy to do, but again, I guess I think if you've if you've already logged some years as a scout in an NFL building somewhere, which which Daniel Jeremiah has, then then that that definitely gives you a leg up. Yeah, I think Riddick's got that same type of background, so it's not like these are guys just going straight from television or the media into front office roles. They've already, in most instances, already at least had some foundational experience. Uh, in that regard. Now you mentioned that availability with Daniel Jeremiah. And if you follow Chase Goodbread, which I'm sure you do on Twitter at Chase Goodbread on the Twitter, uh, you saw Chase updating that availability. Uh, I guess it was yesterday, Chase. And from the Alabama perspective right now, how does Daniel sort of fall in line with maybe some of the other uh, mocks we see out there as far as say Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle in that wide receiver pecking order with say Jamar chase of LSU and, and how does he see them kind of falling in there? Yeah, he definitely is a big fan of both Waddle and Smith. I think he sees them as, and so do I as top 10 talents. Jamar chase, probably the, uh, the best receiver in the draft. And, um, I think yesterday, DJ mentioned he felt like Chase would be the first one off the board, but those three, they're not going to last long. That's for sure. And uh, uh, a lot of talk about Kyle Pitts from Florida too, almost, almost as a wide receiver and, and, and not a tight end. He spent so much time split out at Florida and his receiving skills are, are so sharp uh, that, that, you know, it's uh his evaluation for the NFL is really more receiver like tight end like, and yet he's still looking like a top 10 pick. So that, that guy's, that guy's in the mix too. The Philadelphia Eagles, uh, need a weapon for sure for Jalen Hurts. A lot of talk that may, they may go with a wide receiver, uh, or Pitts. What about Christian Barmore? Uh, we talked about him the last couple of days. A guy who actually, when you just look at starts for, say, even 2020, he was like fourth on the team in that regard. So he hasn't been sort of this every game guy for a couple of years now. Uh, how is he viewed in scouting circles? Is it boom or bust? Is there middle ground when you look at Christian Barmore? Uh, seems to be trending in the right direction, especially after that performance against Ohio State in the national championship game. Yeah, you, you do hear some boomer bust talk from scouts on Christian Barmore. There's no doubt about that. I, I think most of that comes from the fact that, like you said, there's not a super deep library of tape on Christian um, that's that's just lights out. Like, for instance, you might have on a 
on a Jonathan Allen or, uh, you know, even Jaron Reed, who came from junior pro- college, probably put together a, a, a higher number of total impressive games for Alabama than Barmore did. It's attributed to a couple of things. Um, he, he certainly flashed early in his career and, and kind of showed you what kind of athleticism he had as a pass rusher. Uh, but he had some injury issues, and you and I kind of talked through this over the course of the fall on the podcast, Travis. He didn't enter 2020 in, in the greatest health. He, he had a, a knee injury that kind of slowed him early in the year. I think he got kind of a late start. And, you know, when he got back on the field, he didn't look particularly explosive. But over the course of time, by midseason and, and certainly by the end of the season, he looked like a completely different player. And, and if he does go in the first round of the draft, which is possible, um, more likely toward the back end of the first round, I think, uh, then that's a team that's going to be looking at uh, the latter part of the 2020 tape on Barmore and, and saying this is this is who he is right here. They like that negative play rate on uh, Christian Barmore. When you make 37 tackles and nearly a third of them go for loss, they like that. They like that when you do that. You know, those NFL people, they like to see that. Um, Patrick Sertan the second at corner. Is it pretty much a two-guy race for that first corner off the board for this 2021 draft with with Sertan right there in that? In that mix, yeah. Caleb Farley uh, from Virginia Tech is the other guy who's looked at as uh, maybe the number one corner off the board. It should be one of those two guys. They should be going off fast. I think both of them are gone by uh, the end of the first half of the first round. A couple of top 15 picks there, I think. Uh, The Denver Broncos, one team that that definitely is going to be looking at the cornerback spot. Uh, They're picking at number nine, so kind of watch out for Denver there for perhaps one of those two guys and uh, whichever one doesn't go first, it'll, it'll be pretty quick for the other one to fall. I don't think there's any doubt. Mac Jones got to be one of the more intriguing storylines as we move throughout this draft process. And certainly even I would think leading up to draft night with the first round and the wide range in which I guess Mac could go or how he's viewed anyway, uh, anywhere from the late teens into maybe the twenties to top ten, it seems like for Mac Jones. What's the what's the sense with him right now? He's locked into the first round, according to everyone you talk to, which really wasn't the case at the end of the season. And and you know, not a ton has changed. He did have an excellent Senior Bowl. I know he impressed NFL teams there, so that certainly didn't hurt him. Uh, but with the with the year he had in twenty twenty. Um, it, it's it, it's hard not to look at that guy as a first round pick. His stock definitely, for whatever reason, is, is has climbed. I, I think at at the end of the football season, um, pre Senior Bowl, he was kind of looked at as maybe a first round pick, and now, uh, like you said, he, he's he, he's in there somewhere, just about everywhere you look. Um, and quarterbacks, as we've talked about, Travis they all seem to rise up the board collectively in a sense as the draft gets closer because uh, you can't compete in the NFL without a top-notch quarterback, not for championships anyway, maybe compete for a division title with a with a mediocre ochre quarterback and enough running game and enough defense. But if you're going to contend for the Super Bowl, 
you you got to have a, a real star back there for the most part, and 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 that's why no matter who you are, whether you're Mac Jones, whether you're Justin Fields, whether you're you're, you're Trey Lance, uh, as the draft gets closer, it, it it's like teams just want you more and more, uh, even though the tape is still the same. So it's a good position to be in for Mac Jones, and and uh, he'll be he'll be getting his name called awful fast. Amazing senior season for Najee Harris. No one disputes that. In terms of coming back and fulfilling everything he could accomplish during his time at the University of Alabama, he did it. Record books, individual honors, national championship, all those things. All that being said, are we 100% certain that in coming back for another year, Najee Harris absolutely helped himself in the eyes of NFL people. In other words, he's battling that value situation at a position like running back. Are we sure that, say, in comparison to a year ago where he was likely a second-round pick, that in coming back, he's going to be a first-round guy and, and actually move up the boards that much? I don't think there's any doubt he helped himself. Um uh, and there weren't a ton of areas that he could improve coming off his junior year. I grant you that for sure. And there are still going to be some questions about his speed. Uh, his 40 time is definitely going to be heavily scrutinized uh, at Alabama's Pro Day, which is coming up here in a couple of weeks on March 23rd. Uh, but he could be the first running back off the board in this draft. And, you know, that's a, that's a status that kind of, uh, afford you first round status sometimes. Whereas, you know, if you come out last year, even if your tape's just as good, even if teams like you just as much as they do now, doesn't mean you're the first back off the board. Doesn't mean you're the second, uh, that kind of, um, that kind of situation can kind of push you down. Uh, Christian Barmore, for instance, uh, defensive tackles, it's it's a terrible crop of defensive tackles in this draft. He's talked about as one of the very best, which he is, and he may go toward the back end of the first round. But if Christian Barmore was coming out in a deeper year at his position, uh, he, he'd be a day two guy uh, at best, probably. So uh, the, the it's also a big factor when you know when you look at who else is coming out and how many clubs need somebody at the top of the draft at your position. My homeboy Chase Goodbread, fellow. Duval product. Is this a week you miss down there? The Players' Championship. Good, Brad. You covered when you worked at the Florida Times Union down there in Jacksonville, didn't you? Didn't you help out with some coverage on some players from time to time? I, I dutifully fought the parking down there and 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 uh, the heat and whatnot, and, and and knocked out a few sidebars uh, for sure. I can remember one of my first years there. You and Smitter. Da Wybring, but. Yeah. Uh, not the biggest golf fan, as you know, Travis. I can, <laughs> I can knock them around at a range, and I can, and I enjoy, you know, uh, spending an hour on a putting green or something. But I, I just have, and I can play nine, uh, but mm-hmm. I just have a hard time giving up mm-hmm. a full day to play eighteen because I'm so bad. It takes that long to to knock out a full round. Yeah, instead of that white egg, you'd rather be on that green egg, as uh, we know. Right. You'd rather spend your time there. With that, uh, with that uh, aeronautical engineering sort of setup you got for that big green, egg I can sink a, a twelve foot putt on that green one a lot easier. <laughs> Chase Goodbread covered the only Super Bowl 
uh, in Jacksonville history as well. Patriots Eagles, as I recall, and Donovan McNabb had a little trouble finishing that game uh, with To and the boys back in the day. That was that was the game when uh, Terrell Owens had that bad injury, and and no one thought he had a chance of playing, and and he swore he would, and he managed to get back on the field and and play pretty well for Philadelphia. After the fact, didn't he like accuse Donovan of partying the night before the game, and he was hung over or something, and that's why he was throwing up on the field? I don't know. T.O., you just never know. Yeah, something else. Hey, Chase, as always, appreciate the time. Always a lot of fun with you here on the program. Always great stuff there at NFL.com with Chase Goodbread. Thanks, Chase. Enjoyed it. There he goes, Chase Goodbread. My pal, co-host there on the Talking Tide podcast. Chase, of course, you can also catch him on Crimson Cover. Friday night, 6.30, WVUA 23 with John Copeland and the mayor, Mike Parker. Back with more of a Wednesday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. A mild afternoon, the sky partly to mostly sunny, the high today 77. For tonight, mostly fair with the low at 52. And we stay dry tomorrow and Friday, partly sunny both days. The high tomorrow 79, Friday's high at 80. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 71 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. Thanks again to Chase Goodbread. Neighbor, good pal, one-time colleague, still a colleague, Chase Goodbreads. His outstanding work these days at NFL.com. Never too early to talk some NFL draft. Chase working with Daniel Jeremiah. Yesterday on a Zoom conference with the media. Some good stuff coming out of that. I guess it's that time of the year. You get Mel Kuyper Jr., DJ. All these guys are doing these Zooms right on top of each other. You know, and the mocks sort of follow suit. As we get ready for some pro days, you got a pro day here at the University of Alabama coming up that'll essentially have to serve as the combine for Alabama's 11 combine invitees for 2021 so we move through that continue to push forward wide receiver position obviously a big point of interest when you throw jamar chase back into that mix after chase opted out for the 2020 season 
Seems to be a pretty good split, Jacob Harrison, on that first wide receiver off the board. Is it Jamar Chase? Is it Devontae Smith? Might even see Jalen Waddle surprise some folks. You know, that's kind of the way it was, wasn't it? Wasn't it that way with Ruggs and Judy last year? Yeah, with CeeDee Lamb in there with them too. Nobody saw yeah. Ruggs going first. I mean, other than people that, you know, adore the speed side of things. <laughs> the Raiders, obviously, long time big fans of that vertical passing game. And, uh, couldn't turn down, couldn't look away from that speed of Henry Ruggs the third. Henry's got a few things to prove in year two. Jerry Judy kind of the same. So uh, going to be interesting for those two Alabama wide receivers from a year ago to see what they do in their second seasons in the National Football League, both of them out there in the AFC West. Uh, I saw where Daniel Jeremiah had a pretty good nugget on Jalen Waddle yesterday. said he had the highest play speed number i guess gps tracked Jalen waddle in terms of just play speed how fast he plays Jalen waddle was the tops in all of college football i don't think that's a huge surprise i mean because when you watch this guy on a football field and you think about some of the fastest guys um, in the game you, you think of oh, guys like tyreek hill I mean, Tyreek Hill, when you watch him at the Kansas City Chiefs play with the football in his hands, it's like they've sped up the the shutter speed or something on the cameras. It just doesn't seem like he's playing at the same type of speed. That's Jalen, too. That's Jalen, too. And as Jay said, sort of this wide range for Mac Jones at the quarterback position. I know DJ yesterday said that he could even see Mac landing in Washington. So you start thinking about the variety of teams now that you've heard in conjunction with Mac Jones, whether it's now Washington or the New England Patriots have been a consistent landing spot in the middle of the first round for Mac Jones, but then even maybe up into the top 10 with the Carolina Panthers uh, and some of those teams. So uh, Mac's going to have a lot of intrigue surrounding him heading into draft night. You know, here's what I'd like to see, Jacob, for our, our, Jacksonville Jaguars go ahead go ahead and take Trev Trevor Lawrence at number one which we know they're going to do assuming Trevor has a pulse on the first day of the 2021 NFL draft he will be a Jacksonville Jaguar and then with that draft capital I'd like to package up a few things Jacob I want to package up a few things and I want to climb into that back into that top 10. You know, they got that 25th pick in the first round where you see Christian Barmore in a lot of mocks landing with Jacksonville. I, I think Christian Barmore, I'm, I'm in that sentiment of boom or bust. I think Christian Barmore could be a dominant defensive lineman. I think Christian Barmore either could take some time to get to that level or maybe come up short of it. So with that 25th pick, I'd like to package that up, Jacob. And I'd like to go back in that top 10 and get Kyle Pitts. How about I get Kyle Pitts at the tight end position, that hybrid to go along with Trevor Lawrence. You yeah, like that? I do. You know, I, I still kind of contend that that's what the, the Miami Dolphins should have done last year when they had all those picks was, was use one of them and move up and get yourself two top 10 picks. I like that idea. Yeah, Kyle Pitts and Trevor Lawrence together. How about that? How about you build from there? That's going to do it for a Wednesday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Thanks to Jacob. 
for producing the show. Chase Goodbread joining us as well. Lunch Whistle on this Wednesday, and I had lunch there yesterday. I'm just going to tell you it's always great. And I had to revert back. I had a yard bird craving, that outstanding chicken sandwich there at Southern Ale House. It comes with that American cheese, that thick-cut hickory bacon, a little arugula on top there, a buttery soft brioche bun to go along with that slap your mama sauce. You can't beat it. The Yardbird Chicken Sandwich, it was outstanding yesterday. It's great every day. At Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Until 11 a.m. on Thursday. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, everybody.